And the best compliment I can get is when people say, you know, it really felt like a little slice of home. It looked kind of like the Netherlands here, the way you have the garden set up and the canals and the windmill. And I think they appreciate, as do we, that we're not, again, we're not trying to do it as a kitschy thing, as a tourist trap. We want to give them a, a little bit broader picture of the Netherlands as well as Holland, Michigan. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Cliff Duvenois. Today, we are continuing our exploration of the city of Holland, and I am speaking with the Windmill Island Gardens Development Manager for the city of Holland, because it's hard not to think about Holland without thinking about the Windmill Garden. So today's guest, Matt Helmus, is going to share with us a brief history of the place. And uh, Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, Cliff. It's a great day. Thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. I'm a native boy here from West Michigan. I grew up here in Grand Rapids and Jenison, just down the road in Ottawa County. So not too far from Holland. I had never really ventured here a whole lot, especially during tulip time. I had one of those dads who said, we'll, take, we'll go there 50 weeks out of the year, but those two weeks of tulip time, we're not going to visit. So <laughs> close enough to know what's going on, but far enough to not go all the time. Where did you go to college? I went up to the center of the state, up to Alma College, and got my undergrad there in history, and then came back to West Michigan for a master's at Grand Valley in public administration. So how did you make the leap from a degree in history to working for the city? Well, it was one of those openings I saw. I just finished up a master's degree, started looking around for jobs, and saw this opening at Windmill Island Gardens in Holland. And I grew up as a Dutch kid locally. A lot of my family, you know, way back, had come from the Netherlands. I love history. Just finished a degree in public administration, so nonprofit or municipal work. And when I saw this opening, my wife kind of looked at me and said, it's like you couldn't have written a better job description for me. The Dutch stuff, the history stuff, the public administration thing. So it was just an absolute godsend of a job. Well, that's really interesting. What made you think that you were, because it's like quite a leap from having a degree in history to all of a sudden now having to maintain one of the key central points that people think of when they think about Holland. It is. It's really the focal point of Holland. It was in the city logo for years and still in there. And people think about the windmill. They come to Holland and they say, where's your Dutch stuff? And we point them to <laughs> our windmill. We point them to wooden shoes, things like that, Tulip Festival. So it really, I'd gotten enough management experience and they were really looking to tighten up the administration down there. We'll talk a little bit about, I'm sure, uh, financially, it wasn't in the best of straits. Dutch people are known for being pretty good, pretty frugal, good with money. So we've really tightened things up over the years. So with some of the experience I've had there really paid off at the island. What I'd like to do is take a step back in time to how the Windmill Island Gardens even came into existence. And from what I was researching online, this was something that was started back in the 50s or 60s time frame? Yeah, back in the 40s, 50s, folks around town, some of the city fathers were banding about the idea of how do we show off the Dutch heritage? At that time, the city had been around for about 100 years, was still pretty Dutch heavy. And we had tourists coming into town saying, you know, again, where's that Dutch stuff? What's Holland, Michigan all about? So they got the idea to get something, an area or a park or something to send folks to. And obviously being Dutch, the idea was, what if we could get one of these windmills from the Netherlands, get, the, get it over here and show it off? So they reached out to some places in the Netherlands, to the Dutch government, the Dutch Mill Society. And that was the point really when people were just beginning to value their heritage items. So in the Netherlands, they had a law that said you were not allowed to take these down or let them leave the country anymore. The windmills. But the windmills, yes, exactly. They had about 10,000 left, and a lot of them were deteriorating because they didn't really use windmills anymore. They right. had modern factories. But the city of Holland basically got an exemption that if they could find a windmill, the Dutch government would allow them to bring it over here. And that happened in 1964. They had sent a delegation over, 
and they happened to find a privately owned windmill that was in deteriorating condition. They were able to buy it from the owner and got permission to bring it here over to West Michigan. That's absolutely incredible. And I say that because it would be very easy to just say, hey, we got tons of pitchers. Let's just build one of our own. Yeah. And that's happened subsequently. There was one mill, another mill actually allowed to leave to Aruba, which was a Dutch colony at the time. And there's other Dutch American spots here in America where they've done exactly what you described. They've built a brand new windmill. They're beautiful. They're great. They don't have quite the historic status that ours does, the story way back in the Netherlands, but they're neat to see. Where did the idea come about to start planting? Because this is another thing that you not see a photo of tulips. Whenever there's a photo of Holland as well, you got the windmill, you've got the tulips. So where did this expanding of creating a garden come from and planting of the tulips? I think that's just natural. If you've been to the Netherlands, they are one of the world's leaders in horticulture and floriculture. And the most common flower associated with them is the tulip. The tulip time had started just a couple of decades before the windmill got here. So in town, they were planting tulips all over. But there's okay. always this desire to have large planted tulip areas. And there's a couple of places. The Nielis family had a, a tulip farm as well as some other places in town. But they thought, we have 36 acres around this windmill. Why not make it into gardens? So build some Dutch buildings and then plant some Dutch gardens. So tulips were here. Tulip time had existed for a little bit before then. But really, they thought this could be a focal point for the festival. Now, one of the things that I do want to talk to you about is that typically tulips are not something that blooms year round. There's like a very short window of time that the tulips are in bloom, hence the reason why you've got the tulip festival and tulip time. So talk to us about what happens during the rest of the time when we're outside of that window of tulips. What's the major draw to the window gardens. First, I'm really proud of you for knowing that because we get a lot of phone calls and visitors who come in August or call in July and wonder where those tulips are. But <laughs> like you mentioned, we plant a wide variety of tulips. So we try and extend that tulip season as long as we can. So usually from about mid-April through, we hope mid-May, mid end of May, we'll have tulips in bloom. But we also, when those are done, we actually pull them and replant most of our gardens with all annuals. And we have a number of perennials. So we're actually two-season gardens because our park is open from April, middle of April till early October. So we have flowers through that whole time. We tell people, if you want to see tulips, obviously come in the spring, come to around the Tulip Time Festival. But otherwise, you can come anytime June through September and see a great number of flowers, probably 80-plus different varieties of annuals and perennials and trees and things like that. We've really focused on that garden area. So we're, we're still there six months of the year. Tulip Time Festival is about half our visitors for the year. We usually see fifty to 60,000 people over nine days. And we get, lately, our numbers have been about 120 to 150,000 people. Sweet for this Moses. Season. Yeah, it's a busy place during Tulip Time and a nice, comfortable, beautiful place outside of Tulip Time. When you're going in there and working in the garden and you're talking about pulling out all these other plants, putting these things in there, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the management of that process? How does that work? It's really cyclical for the year. It's interesting because if you imagine yourself here for the festival, you see all the beautiful tulips in bloom. That's actually the time when our horticulture staff is beginning to plan for the next tulip time. We put in as a city our tulip order in the summer. So they're planning out, do we want to expand any areas? Do we want to try any new tulips? They need to figure that out in June. We put the tulip order in, so the tulips are done blooming. We have a tulip dig where we invite folks to come and dig a lot of those tulips out, locals, anybody. And then we replant with annuals. And that's then, again, in September, we still are looking pretty good. The weather's nice. 
But by October, we actually have to pull all those annuals out because by then our tulips from the Netherlands that we order every year, we need to plant those bulbs. So we have to pull everything out, plant those bulbs, and then put deer fencing up so our four-legged friends don't eat all of our tulips before next season's festival. When you put in an order for the Netherlands, how many tulips are we talking about? So the city as a whole puts in a large order altogether. Windmill Island plants about 150, 160,000 tulips, depending on the year. The city does multiple times of that because they have lots of city parks that are planted, tulip lanes. So we're talking a good-sized tulip bill and hundreds of thousands of tulips, usually half a million or more. And when we're talking about this, what you mentioned before, these are all planted by hand? They're a lot of them are planted by hand. We do have a modified onion planter that we use for our large agricultural style fields. So we have about three or four acres that are the big fields that look like you're in a farm or it looks like you're in the Netherlands where you can get a great picture in front of the windmill with a big field of tulips. And then we have some smaller garden bed areas with some more unique varieties, some more small plantings where you can put your kid down in front of and get a great picture or just some neat ones that some of them are very expensive, so we only buy maybe 100 or 200 of them, and we can showcase them in those areas. What I'd like to do is take a step back, because you were talking about before, and I believe the term that you used was frugal with the money. And I know that the Windmill Island Gardens is a major draw, and it looks beautiful. How are you able to maintain this balance, or how did you get the gardens to where they are today versus when they started out? That's a great question. So the park itself opened in 1965, and the city had really been, I don't want to say talked into this, but there had been a study done by the state that said, man, if you get a windmill and if you're able to do gardens and Dutch buildings, you'll get a million people here a year to visit this place. That was obviously an overshot. We've never been near. <laughs> we hit our record number last year, and we were about 150,000. Those first several years were very busy. People came and saw the windmill, came and saw the gardens, checked it out. That, those numbers lasted for 20, 25 years, and then our attendance started to go down. Tourism wasn't really the hot thing back then. There's lots of competition. The Cedar Points and Michigan Adventures of the World, kids like to do that. So our numbers through the kind of late 80s and the end of the 90s went down to the point where we were only getting about 40,000, 50,000 visitors a year. The, it was actually costing the city several hundred thousand dollars just to keep the place open for tourists. But the city at that point had a decision do we just make this into a municipal park, allow it for free, not have as many attractions, or do we somehow redo this? Fortunately, they, they gave it a, another shot. And with that, the tourism has been back in the 2000s, has been doing a little bit better. So we cut everything we could at that point, really analyzed all the spending we were doing, all the employees we had. And again, tourism numbers went back up. So it was a good cross point where the things we developed, some new programs, new events, a focus on, like you said, those gardens outside of tulip time. Tulip time's a blessing, but we knew we needed more people here in June, July, August, September. So we've continued to see that, and that's definitely a focus of ours. But we've managed to turn the place around, so we, we don't take any general fund money. We're self-sustaining with about 150,000 visitors a year. We have some great programs. We have things like weddings that we added. Those have been a nice revenue stream in about the last 20 years or so. So again, just looking at things consciously of how do we develop this place, keep it self-sustaining, keep it a fun place for people to visit who have either never been here or who've been here before and want to see something different. And for our audience, we're going to take a quick break and thank our sponsors. We'll be back in just a few minutes. If you are enjoying this episode, well then let me tell you, there's plenty more interesting stories to come. Michigan is full of people doing extraordinary things. And you can get these great stories sent directly to your inbox. Just go to totalmichigan.com slash join. Enter your email address and join our community. When you do, we will also send you our top five interviews, 
the powerful lessons we've learned from these people, an invitation to our Facebook group, behind-the-scenes stories and pictures, as well as advance notice of upcoming guests and events. Just go to TotalMichigan.com slash join. It's fast, it's free, and it's easy. Sign up today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Cliff Duvinois. Today, we are talking with Matt Helmus. He is with the Windmill Island Gardens, Development Manager for the City of Holland. Matt, before the break, you had made a comment about sustainability. And what I would like to do is I'd like to talk about some of the programs that you got, because sustainability is one of these like hot button items that people are really getting jazzed up about. So talk to us a little bit about that sustainability. Yes, that's a great thing we can accomplish on Windmill Island was talking about sustainability as one of our themes. So it's really neat that we have the windmill as the center of our operations. And we talk to folks about modern wind energy is really taking off with these newer style windmills that get electricity. But we can talk about that that's been going on for four or 500 plus years. So we show in our windmill, it doesn't take power. It actually produces power. We catch the wind and we can grind grain in there. And we still do that to this day. And then we have an energy park right across the park from us is a natural gas plant that was built just a few years ago. That's very modern that the city built, very efficient, but we can say that's how we get power today. This is how folks got power back in the 15, 16, 1700s. We do a lot of talk with gardening, sustainable gardening, and we're also an absolutely beautiful natural area where we have a lot of wildlife friends out there, a lot of birds, a lot of mammals. So people like to come out there, go bird watching, just check out our park. And we try and do that all in the most sustainable way we can, gardening-wise and just a tourism. What I would like to do is talk about outside of tulip time, is I'd like to talk about some of the other events that you have going on in the gardens throughout the year. So if you would, just share with us a couple of the things that come to mind. Yeah, so every year we try and do a different theme in our garden. So when we pull all those tulips and plant the annuals, we try and do it differently every year. So you don't come and see the same flowers in the same spot every year. So like this year, our theme is a celestial season. So our plantings will be planted around the theme of sun, moon, and stars. So some of the plants will have certain names that suggest that. There's one called Drops of Jupiter, which of course I can't remember what kind of plant that is. But a lot of them are name-wise. Some of them will be artistic in the bed, might look like a moon or something like that. It's, so that's really neat. So kids and adults can really go through the gardens and see that theme. With that, we'll have some associated programming. We're hoping to do some stargazing and that sort of stuff out there. It's oh, great. nice. Yeah, we're right on the edge of downtown, but we're far enough away that we don't have so much light pollution. So folks can come out and stargaze. We've also, this year, just this is last winter, started a called Magic the Mill. It's a Christmas light event that we ran for three weekends around Christmas time. Oh, beautiful. And yeah, we lit up the park. We did keep our theme, so we didn't want to go completely out of our theme area. So the highlight of it was really a, about a thousand, or a thousand LED light tulip field that had a sound uh, music basically to it. So it lit up sound and light show. I tell people, imagine if the tulip festival and the musical fountain in Grand Haven had a baby <laughs> and it would be this tulip field. So it's, you got music, you got light and you got tulips. So it was, a, it was a big hit. We sold out several of the weekends. Again, just a way to invite people down year-round down to Windmill Island. Now, when you're talking about this light show that's being put on, is it something that people walk around and see, or is it something that you do in your car? Yep, it's a walk around. So our okay. park doesn't have so much. We have a limited parking lot, so it's not like what they do in Grand Rapids at the Whitecap Stadium. It is a walk around, but it's a great kind of, it's maybe about half a mile walk, but it's beautifully lit up outside, and we have things in our buildings. We have food available. Kids can visit Sinterklaas, who's the Dutch equivalent of Santa Claus. They can hear our street organ playing a holiday favorites. They can ride the carousel. They can come in and get a cup of hot cocoa. It's, it was just an absolute hit for our community and for a lot of visitors. 
And that's another thing, too, that seems to be really popular in the windmill garden is that piano organ thing. That thing is huge. Where did that come from? That's a whole nother. We call it our three Dutch treasures. So obviously the windmill is part of the island. Our, we have a carousel that we brought over in the 70s, but the street organ is the other third of our Dutch treasures. That actually predates the island, and it goes back to World War II when the Netherlands was devastated by Germany. And a lot of people in this area, being of Dutch extract, sent food, money, clothing back to the homeland. And as a way to say thank you, in Amsterdam, the school kids raised money, bought an organ, and the city sent it over to Holland, Michigan. And so we've had that organ since 1947. And it's still, we for a couple decades, it wasn't functioning, but we do work on it now every year. So it plays fun Dutch songs, fun American songs, things like the Beach Boys even. It's run like a player piano. If you've seen the back there, yeah. we don't play it like an instrument. We play it like a player piano. So it's a highlight for old, old folks, for young kids. They get to hear some favorites on there. So it's an absolute fun piece to have at the island. Now, typically when the garden is open and enclosed. Is this something that's really set on a set schedule? Are you letting the weather dictate when this is open? How does that work? So our season is mid-April through October, and we are open seven days a week in that season. And we will very rarely shut due to bad weather because the nice thing is we have great gardens to enjoy outside, but there's also a portion of it inside. You can still hear the organ inside, the organ shelter. You can hear, you can go in, into the windmill. You can visit our shops. We have movies that you can see on site. We have a conservatory. So really, we are open rain, wind, shine. We are there. Sometimes snow. We hope no, we hope no snow while we're open, but happens on occasion. <laughs> With regards to putting on the festival, maintaining the gardens, what would you say would be some of your biggest challenges that you have to face? Weather would be one that we just touched on. Staffing is another. We are very fortunate. During the Tulip Time Festival, we staff up to about 75 people. During the rest of the season, we have anywhere between 40 and 50 staff. Just like everywhere these days, it's hard to find staff. So we're scrambling and hiring now to make sure we have enough people to greet visitors. Because we know if we're there, we want to provide a good experience. We want to make sure that we have people there to sell you your ticket, but as well as to greet you, to show you around the park, tell you all about what we have to offer. So that's always a changing crowd of folks there. So we have a lot of younger people and then some early retirees. So you can always find a friendly, smiling face to show you around the island. One of the things that we talked about with Mayor Box was the fact that all of this new manufacturing is coming into town and people are expanding their companies. How is that going to impact the windmill gardens? We hope it only helps us. Really, one really cool thing we can do at the island is we share different stories with all different people. Some people think we're this old Dutch heritage park. Only if you're interested in Dutch stuff would they visit. But actually, it's neat. We say under this big Dutch umbrella, we can share a lot of stories. We can share agriculture, horticulture, engineering, music, any sorts of things like that. So one of the most amazing things to us is when we connect with some of these business groups and you watch these engineers go up in the windmill that's hundreds of years old <laughs> and they see the gears and they start geeking out about the gear ratios and things like that and what kind of wood is used in those and how do they design this back in 16, 1700s. It's amazing to see. So we've seen several local companies actually partner with us on different projects. Um, we had uh, a scout group come in and was helping us do some metal work in the windmill because it's an old way to produce food. We still get to deal with the agriculture department and they say everything that food touches has to be stainless steel. Yep. Well, that was a little hard. Everything was wood. So they actually helped us take apart the machinery we had and put stainless steel on the inside. So the inside's very modern, but the outside still has that wood exterior, so it looks historical. And that was a local metal company that helped us do that. 
So we're very fortunate to have such a thriving manufacturing business community in this area. I'm loving this synergy between the garden and the man- and the manufacturing that's going on in the area. And you hinted on this before, is that the windmill is still producing food. It does, yep. So we are currently training a new millers as we speak. The windmill's turning. We are training some new folks to be able to grind. That That's a, an interesting process. It's not something you can go <laughs> learn in the town next door. So we're having some help from folks from the Netherlands and some other mills in the U.S. But yeah, we typically produce about 15,000 pounds of grain every year. It goes Sweet from wheat Moses. to flour. Yeah. Just from that one windmill? Just from the one windmill. And that's that only takes a couple of days a year of grinding. We can grind two to 3,000 pounds of flour in a couple hours. So it doesn't take that long. It takes a lot to package because your typical tourist doesn't want to take home a 50-pound sack of flour like we would have usually way back given to people. They want to bring home maybe a pound or two bag of flour to be able to make cookies or bread out of it. So mostly sold right on site. Oh, that's, that was going to be my next question is, do you do baked goods with it as well? If somebody wants to get a loaf of bread because this was made in a real windmill. So we sell them the flour. We have done some cool projects in the past where people have made beers and baked goods and things like that out of the things we produce in the windmill. So some neat projects, some neat, uh, yeah, good things to taste, good things to eat and drink as well. Now, how are you working with the actual city of Holland? Because as we're doing this interview right now, we're actually in City Hall. So how are you working with the city to make sure that you've got this balance of people that can still come out and see the gardens versus being in town and cruising the streets. Yeah. So the cool thing is we are municipally owned gardens. So we are set up what's called an entrepreneurial fund, kind of like uh, city golf courses, cemeteries, parking facilities are. So we're meant to be self-sustaining, that we don't suck money out of the general fund. We sustain our own budget, but we're really a benefit for the city. And the city, thankfully, the city council is very, um, they appreciate what we do out there because they know lots of people come to see us. We are city-owned that the city does have some control over what goes on out there, but we also can work with great partner organizations like Tulip Time, like our Visitors Bureau, like our Chamber of Commerce. So we're a little bit more entrepreneurial in that sense as well, that we can do some things that normal city governments don't do, and we do some of those fun projects. So I say I probably have the most fun job out of any of the city employees here. I'm not processing forms. I'm not in a police cruiser, things like that. My day job is running a heritage park, which really changes day to day, but it's really neat. It's a way for the city to draw visitors, to welcome visitors in a very unique setting. One of the things that I would like to discuss is that whenever, and we've brought this up several times, whenever we're looking at pictures of Holland, It is typically like right now I got a Shoreline magazine and the very first photo is of the windmill and it's above the tulip. So literally this is almost like the face of the city of Holland. Talk to us a little bit about having that type of pressure that you've got to maintain those gardens. Those gardens have got to be like spot on. So talk to us about managing that pressure on top of managing all these people to make sure that you are living up to this mental image that people have of the Holland area. Yeah, it's it's a I typically look at it as a good thing is that again when folks are visiting, one of the first things they see is usually an image of the windmill or they know they came to Holland and we they heard about this old windmill that we have. So they asked to see us. So we have a ready-made crowd. It helps with marketing that way. But like you said, it's also we do want to make sure we're doing a great job representing the whole community as well. So we're not just representing the Dutch community. And that's, again, where we look at where it's not all Dutch people live in Holland. There's just a chunk of us now that, that are Dutch Americans. We have a lot of other folks here with us, too. So the city really values that. And that's why we've looked at those different ways, some STEM ways. We have a new water exhibit area that we're developing. Again, you can come. 
you don't have to give a rich a rip about Dutch heritage to enjoy a water exhibit and you learn how the Dutch have dealt with it in the past, but how we're dealing with it currently. But we just want to connect with everybody who visits in any way. And for our local community, we have walking and biking trails out there that folks will come out and just enjoy that area. We have free access to folks who live in Holland, Michigan. We, we provide free access to them because the last thing we want is to be seen as a tourist trap or something that you only bring, you only go there when your grandkids are here or you got friends from out of town. We like people to go down there pretty often. So we don't love to hear, I've never been there. Or, I've only been there in third grade on my field trip. We like when Hollanders come and visit, City of Holland folks come and visit, as well as just anybody who comes and visits. But the Visitors Bureau tells people, go visit. Magazines tell people, go visit. So it is nice that we have a ready-built crowd. We just try and do our best to make sure we're looking our best when they get there. Certainly. And a couple of things that you've mentioned in this interview is the fact that it seems like between Holland, Michigan versus Holland, Netherlands, it seems like there's been like a lot of the times where the people in the Netherlands have actually come over here and helped out. Talk to us a little bit about that relationship there. Yeah, that's, again, we value that, I think, as a city and definitely at Windmill Island Gardens as the park. We realize that we have to keep a connection there. We're trying to show off a piece of Dutch heritage in the windmill and the organ and things like that. So the city actually sent me over to the Netherlands about three years ago prior to the pandemic. And I connected with a lot of these people who have similar jobs that are showing off older Dutch heritage, but doing it in a modern context. So we really brainstormed and said, I was trying to learn from them. How are you doing this? You're nice. a multicultural nation at this point. So how do you tell everyone's story and how do you make everyone feel included? And what stories are you telling that aren't just old history? I love old history, but I know I'm a, I'm a unique guy that a lot of people don't love to just read history all day and learn about old stuff. They want something relevant to them. And that's what we found some great ideas. That's where we got the idea for our water exhibit. And they were really falling over themselves to help us because they thought it was so neat that people are telling a bit of Dutch culture and Dutch history here in America, the Midwest. And they're doing the same thing over in the Netherlands. So they've been very helpful providing materials, translations, trainings, kind of anything we want, they've been helpful with. And the neat thing is uh, even the town of the windmill came from, we bought that windmill from a very small town. And that windmill was the heart of their community. And they've since rebuilt their own windmill that just <laughs> nice. opened about the time I visited. So it was really neat to go and connect with them. And now we have a good relationship, working relationship. We call it our sister mill over in the Netherlands. So they're happy to help us do training happy to help us do marketing as well. Nice. Because I can imagine from their standpoint, it's because those original settlers that came over here, we're now four or five generations past. So to still be able to cling to that heritage, has got, it's got, probably got to make them pretty proud. It, it is. And one of the neatest compliments we can get is we'll get some Dutch visitors and we'll see them going through the park. And you know, sometimes we'll get told, hey, I think that person, I heard a little accent. They might be from the Netherlands. And we'll talk to them and say, how did, how did you hear about us? And then what did you think? And the best compliment we can get is when people say, it really felt like a little slice of home. It looked like the Netherlands here, the way you have the garden set up and the canals and the windmill. And I think they appreciate, as do we, that we're not, again, we're not trying to do it as a kitschy thing, as a tourist trap. We don't want to just pull out our windmills, wooden shoes, tulips, and just show them the stereotypes. We want to give them a, a little bit broader picture of the Netherlands as well as Holland, Michigan. Matt, if somebody's listening to this interview and they want to connect with you or follow what it is that you're doing online, what would be the best way for them to connect? The best way, go to our website, windmillisland.com. And again, our park is open. We open here April 15 and we'll be open through the early part of October. We are $12 for adults, $6 for kids with group rates as well. And we're there seven days a week. Come at tulip time or come summer or fall and we'll be looking beautiful for you. Excellent. Matt, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today. Thank you, Cliff. 
And for our audience, you can go to TotalMichigan.com, click on Matt's interview, and see all the links that he shared with us above. And we will catch you next time with another great interview.